0: Well, Good morning, church. How are you guys doing today? Feeling good? Feeling good? Great. Everybody join us online. Thank you for taking some time out of your week to be here with us. If you are brand new to MCC, I'd love for you to take some time. You can fill out one of those next step cards in the chair in front of you or if you're online, there's a link on there. You can fill that out. We'd love to get a, have a chance to get to know you. Um, we can have you go back out to the Welcome Center. There's a gift we want to give you. Or oh, you know what's better than a gift? Lunch. All right. So if you're here today, and, and maybe today even is your first time, or maybe you're, you're still kind of in that phase of like, I'm new to MCC. Easter was maybe my first Sunday. Last Sunday was maybe my first Sunday. Or maybe you're, you're here and you just feel like, hey man, I haven't really got connected yet. And again, I'm not talking to people who've been coming here for four and a half years. I'm talking to people who are new, and, and not how you would define it, but how I'm defining it right now, who are new to MCC. Today we're having, right after this service, what we call Connecting Point. Connecting Point is a, is a lunch that we have where we try our best to help you get connected. Our hope as a church is nobody would ever come here and be like, yeah, I really like that place. But I left because I just never got connected. We, we want that connection to happen. This is us doing our part for connection to happen. It. It takes both parts. And so we thought breadsticks would be the best thing. Breadsticks, chicken parm, and unlimited salad and all that stuff that's out there would be the best thing for that. So we got lunch. We've already prepared a table for you. And look, even though you haven't signed up, this is our open invitation. If you're new to MCC, we would love to have you attend this Connecting Point lunch. You're gonna hear about who we are as a church and see about you know what does it look like to be connected to this crazy family of believers that is McDonough Christian Church. Last week, my good friend Eric Pratt did an amazing job taking us into the Word of God, sharing his story with us as we started this series on identity. And today we're going to continue on into that. It's a big, huge issue of who, who we are. And before we dive into that, though, I just want to take a second and pray because I think a lot of times we can come to church and we get so caught up in the motions of going to church. Well, I hear three songs, I stand up, I sit down, I, I hear a message, I listen, I check my phone. And then uh, we do communion and then we text the rest of the people in the family to figure out where we're going to lunch. And then we sing the last, I know you, come on, I've been, I used to go to church. Um, you, you do all that and then you, then you leave. And sometimes, I mean, again, I'll just raise my hand and be the first one to admit this. Sometimes you can do all that and not have connected to God. Not have felt like you heard from him. You just kind of there. And it was almost like another show that you watch on TV, but it was live in person. And so what I wanted to do is just to give us a second to to actually just pause and, and pray. And pray for each other. Pray for God to speak to you. Pray for God to reveal himself to you. To reveal who you are. And, and after you take a second and, and pray... Forgot to meet you, he, I believe he's here. He's present with us in this place. The, where this isn't a, a, a crowd gathered for motivational speech or a crowd gathered for a concert. This is, this is a crowd of people who are gathered to, to connect with um, a eternal, omnipresent, omnipowerful God. And so, we just pause and just take in that reality of the room. Some of you, maybe this is the first time you've prayed all week. Some of you, this may be the first time you've prayed all year. Some of you, may it's the first time you may ever pray. And, and one of your prayers might be, God, if you're real, show yourself to me today. And he's okay with a prayer like that. He's a big God and he can handle that. And I would just invite you in these moments, I'm going to give yourself kind of a, a moment or two to just go before him. Just talk to him. Tell him what's on your heart. If you're frustrated with him, tell him. If you're thanking him, thank him. And then after you talk to him for a second about you, I'd invite you just to look around and, and pick a person. Don't be weird about it. Like, Like, don't do that. Just kind of like look around, find somebody and you may not know their name. You may know their name. You may find yourself going, hey, God, pray for that person in that pink shirt over there. They just look like they, they you know, they helped them hear from you today. Like, go there. Again, don't make it weird. Um, you should have your eyes closed anyway. Um, that's in Leviticus. Just kidding, it's not. All right. Let's pray. Jesus, you told us in your word that there is a spirit inside of all of us that cries out, Abba Father, like a newborn, longing for a father, longing for the care of a mother. Every person in this room is is not just a a child of their parents. They're a child of God. We're your children. We're your creation. We thank you for bringing us into a moment like this, Jesus, where we can learn more about that identity, learn more about who we are in you. This world has has told us and jaded us and burned many of us as we have tried to become what parents thought we needed to be, what um, a middle school lunchroom told us we needed to be, uh, what a high school or college teacher or professor told us we needed to be. And Jesus, we just come to you in these moments and ask you to reveal yourself to us. When we see you for who you are, we will know who we are. Forgive us for trying to do that in reverse order. For trying to find ourselves and make ourselves before we let ourselves be found by you. I pray you would do something real today. I thank you for the silence that we experienced a few seconds ago in this room with our ears. We know that heaven was anything but silent as the prayers of your saints was lifted up to you. And we thank you Jesus for what you did on the cross to build a bridge so that our prayers could connect to the frequency of heaven. It's in your name we pray, amen. I wanna start today as we enter into this uh, series on identity by asking this big question, who do you think you are? And I don't ask that in in a a mean like interrogative way of who do you think you are? You showed up to 11 o'clock service and I saw how many of you were late. Like I say this as just like a for real guys, Who do you think you are? Like, if somebody was to ask you, okay, like, who do you think you are? When you think about you, what do you think about? Do you think about the person who made XYZ mistake that nobody knows about? Do you think about the person you wanna be? Do you think about the person that you curate content for so that everybody else sees who you are on social media? Who do you think you are? Do you think you're your profession? Do you think you're your kids? Do you think you're your democratic or republic party, your citizenship, your race? Who do you think you are? See, this question is so huge. This question is kind of the the, the big question of life and so much of of what will happen in us and so much of what our destiny will be determined by is based off of how we answer this question of who do you think you are? And the truth is, whether we realize it or not, this question kind of subconsciously sometimes, and then definitely consciously other times, is reverberating all through our life. And I would dare to venture that maybe sometimes the stress that we feel, the anxiety that we feel, is not necessarily the circumstances that are going on in life, but in light of those circumstances, when we see that and they, this happened to me, so who am I? Or that's happening to me, so am who am I? Or I don't have this money, so who am I? A huge part of the anxiety, the depression, the fear, the addictions, all of those things come back to this question of who am I? And for many of you, didn't this, didn't start when you walked in this room. You've been asking this, this question forever. And you were born with people oftentimes putting their answers into you, right? So you were the firstborn. Firstborn's in the room, hand. Right? Firstborn's. Okay, cool. Oh, wow, wow. That's oddly a lot of you. Um, I don't know if there's something that we should read into that, but um, secondborn's. Uh, they're more rebellious, I guess. They don't come to church. Um, I don't know what's going on online. Um, middle, m- middle people, anybody, I, I don't want to forget you. Okay, there's a few middles in the room. Okay, yeah, most people have two kids and they're like, yeah, we're good. Yeah, <laughs> that was us at least. Um, but from, from birth, then it, bego- it goes, okay, well, well, who are you as a kid? Were you the spaz? Were you the quiet one? Were you the athletic, sporty one? Were you the shy one? The artsy one, the chubby one, who are you? And see, a lot of times that gets put on us. A parent introduces their kid and says, "Oh, that one, she's my shy one," you know. And then the other, you know, this, the other one, which they don't even introduce you or anything. They just say, "Pray for us." <laughs> just some of you got those kids. I have one. Um, pray for us. There's no explanation, just prayer. Please, pray. And then you grow up in a little bit and you've kind of begin to figure some of that out as a kid. You know, you're not really thinking about that as a kid. Then you get into middle school and you start thinking about it, right? Who, who am I? And you, again, if you've ever worked with middle schoolers, you know, like whatever week it is, maybe their new identity. One week they show up and they're a prep. The next week they show up and they're golf, And then the next week they show up and they're, I don't, I don't really know what you are. You're like this smorgasbord of all of those kind of combined into one weird creation that smells. pray for our middle schoolers. And you're asking questions that go into this question of who am I like, have I hit my growth spurt yet? Is this what puberty feels like? Could I go sit at that table if I wanted to sit at that table? And for the first time ever, your hairstyle matters. For the first time ever in middle school, in middle school and high school, you get to this place where it's like, what I wear matters. What my hair looks like matters. The fact that it's curly and not straight matters. The fact that I may have a darker complexion than somebody matters. The fact that I may have to wear SPF 70 when I go out in the sun matters. We begin to ask ourselves, even in those ages, who am I? And many of your biggest wounds and scars that are around that question, they go back to middle and high school and the defense mechanisms that you created in those times. And then you go to college, right? You get in college age and you, and you go, oh, I can reinvent myself. I can move out. I can go to a different place with different people and I can choose who I want to be. I can choose what circles I want to run in. I can choose if I want to be someone who parties or doesn't party. I can choose if I want to be someone who sleeps around or doesn't sleep around. I can choose to be someone who is dedicated to academics or someone who enjoys the college life and who lives by the rule that it's not the grades you make, but the hands you shake. I can be who I want to be. And you kind of enter again into this identity moment of going, okay, now that I'm at what ever you Who am I gonna be? Who am I? And then you graduate, there's a huge crisis. Like, oh, I have to actually be an adult. I have to get a job. I have to pay down these student loans. I have to figure something out. And then what happens kind of there is, is, is a lot of times you get that career job, right? This is the track that hopefully we can get on where we get that career job. And then for most of us, that's where we actually feel the most comfort around our identity. Because a lot of our American capitalistic society, you become defined by what you do. And the most important thing that you do is your work and your job. That's why most men, when you introduce yourself, what's your name, what you do? Cool, Bob, the electrician. All right, cool, that's your category, that's you. Jane, the nurse, okay, that's you. And you get that and you feel like, okay, because I worked hard, I got the degree, I got the job. That's who I am. And then you realize, I'm lonely. (laughs) And then you get married and you find somebody who loves you. And then you took this identity that you had, that you were trying to build with the life that you were trying to build. And then you marry somebody who's also a broken individual and a human and they've kind of got their identity and who they're trying to become. And we marry them thinking that they're gonna help us become who we wanna be. And they marry us thinking, he's gonna help me become who I wanna be. And both of you are selfish individuals. And that's the chaos that is the first five, 10, potentially 15 years of marriage. And somewhere on the line, oftentimes a kid comes into the picture and for women, giving birth to a child, it changes, unfortunately, the thing that most of our society says is the most important part of a woman, it's her looks. It changes it drastically. So again, you find yourself in this identity crisis that I can't wear that anymore, or I can't do that anymore. That's not who I am anymore. And for most men, they find themselves in an identity crisis because most men would still go, I graduated high school, I graduated college, I got the job. And most men, if if they really were honest with you, even after the point of marriage, would still kind of say, I still feel like a 17-year-old. I still feel like a boy. I still don't want to put my socks in the hamper. I still don't want to load the dishwasher the way she told me to load the dishwasher. I just want to do what I want to do. And then you have this big identity crisis because there's somebody who depends on you. And if you're a man worth assault, salt, you're gonna go, I'm a father now. I have to provide, I have to protect. And this, this thing now is what my whole entire life and family orbits around. And it tells me when I sleep. It tells me what I spend money on. It tells me when I don't sleep. It tells me where we go on vacations. It tells me all of the things. And then all those things that used to be what give me my identity, like my friends, my hobbies, the cool places we used to go on vacation that we can't anymore, all those things are out the window and you you enter into this identity crisis. And then those kids graduate and they leave. You become an empty nester. An empty nest sounds an awful lot like emptiness. That's a lot of times what it brings with it. Because when the group project leaves the house, well, why are we hanging out? That's what happens with a lot of people. And for some, it ends unfortunately in divorce. And for some, they stay together and it's good. And for some, they stay together and it's bland for the sake of staying together and and not saying we got a divorce. And a lot of times that can become life. And all throughout that, we're going, who we are? Who am I? Who are we now? But the project is gone. Then we age. And the unfortunate reality is oftentimes um, one spouse passes before the other. And then you become not just empty nester, but a widow or a widower. And you find yourself going again. Without them, who am I? The kids have moved away. They live in a different state. I see them maybe two times a year. They just make sure I'm good. Who am I? And then... For a lot of people, I say age in years, whether through dementia or Alzheimer's, they find themselves literally asking this question. Who am I? Like, really, I don't know who I am. Who are you? You could be you as a grandkid walking in the room. They don't know you. They don't know them. They don't know their story. And what's wild is this question of who do you think you are is a critical part of our life and it runs and it's the undercurrent through the entire thing. As I say all this, and I lean into this hard and heavy at the beginning of this, because it is so foundational for you to be able to nail down where you're at on this. Because who you think you are is critical. It's important. And the only thing more important is this, who God says you are. Who God says you are, who who, who he actually says you are. Now again, they're both critical important. You can't just check out who do you think you are, because who you say God is and who God is to you will be in direct relation to who you think you are. And the wounds that he will heal of you are the ones that are in your identity, are part of your identity. So I would take you and invite you to go with me to the book of Genesis. This is where God creates human beings with their original intent to say, okay, from the very beginning, this is my origin story for creation. I'm showing you who you are in these passages. So basically kind of outline kind of where we're going today. We're going, here's God's original intent. Here's how it messed up and here's how Jesus fixed it. All right, so that's kind of the three moves of today's talk. All right, so grab your Bible, go to Genesis chapter one. We're gonna to try to answer this big question of who does God say you are? Genesis 1:26. So God at this point has, has created everything except mankind. This says, then God said, let us which just pause right there and camp out for a second. At this point in the story, there is no mention of Jesus. There's no mention of the Holy Spirit. But what's happening here is this is alluding to the fact that we serve a Trinitarian God, which means we have a God in three person, triune God. So even in this moment, it's as if God, Jesus, Holy Spirit is going, hey, let us create mankind in our image, which that image is communal. That image is not just one person on a throne going, hear, hear ye, hear ye." thus saith the Lord, this is what we're gonna do. It's going, hey, what do you think about this? Oh, cool, good input, thank you, let's go. All right, let's create them in our image. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So from jump, you got to understand that when it comes to the big question of who does God say you are and what does God think about you? He thinks that you were created in his image. And that's a huge, huge deal. That that you are image bearers of God. That means you have the authority. That means you have the identity. We talked about this when we were in the Solid Ground series. What this means is you're created to magnify and glorify God. What that means is, is if everything you did in your life, it would glorify him. So the way you spend your money this week, at the end of all your spending, somebody could say, and that is what God is like. At the end of all your parenting this week, we could go back and watch the film and we could go, and that is what God is like that we could magnify and glorify him in that way. So we're creating his image in his likeness. All right, going from here says, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky. So he's given them a job. He's created in his image. Part of his image is you have a job to play. You have a role to play. You are, uh, it, things can't get done without you. Every single person who he's created in his image has a role, has a job, has a thing that they were created to do. So they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind, again, kind of repeating itself here, mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I love this part. He blessed them. So right from the beginning, I'm gonna create you in my image. And if that wasn't a blessing enough, I'm gonna to continue to pour out blessing on you. And I believe part of that blessing is God showing you, I'm gonna re- continue to reveal myself to you. Remember, the Trinity exists in a communal relationship that communicates, talks back and forth with each other. And he says, I'm gonna bless you. And I believe a big part of that blessing is God saying, hey, you're here. And the blessing is gonna be you beginning to more and more understand the reality that you were created in my image. So what that's gonna mean is you're gonna understand who I am. And the more and more you understand who I am as Creator, loving, sovereign God, the more you'll understand how blessed you really are to be created in my image. And He said to them, "Be fruitful and increase in number. Again, because you're created in my image, you have something to do. Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So." I believe what this is explained to us is that our primary role, when it comes to this big question of identity, is that we are creating the image and likeness of God. So that means that inside of every person in this room, there is something already that is God-like. Again, take a second and chew on that. That you are not just an accident, that you are here on purpose. And that God is hardwired inside of the heart of every single person here. Godness, something that is God like the ability to think, reason, and find truth. So what I believe this means is God's original intent, his original purpose in creating us was so that we would be big word here. Take notes on this, that we would be a revelation receiver, that God, and I believe this part is original intention, creating Adam and Eve, is that they would be able to be people who were revealed more and more of who that God who created them was. And that as they received that revelation of who he is, they would know who they are. They would know what their role, they would know, okay, all those little things about, okay, uh, because of who you are, God, here's how I would love and serve Eve. Because of you, God, and who you are, here's how I will love and serve Adam. Because of who you are, God, here's how I will do the job that you have now invited me in to do. The, uh, part of our primary role and our identity in Christ is to be revelation receivers. That we, we that when we would know What's true about God, we would know what's true about us and we know who God is, we know who we are and we know who we are, we know what to do. What we see here, if you go back in the story, God created Adam out of what? Not a trick question. I know I do that to you guys sometimes. What did he create him out of? Dirt, right? Dirt, dust. Dirt, dust, you pick your one, whatever you want. Okay, what did he create Eve out of? Ribs, okay? How much can dirt and ribs do on their own? Nothing, nothing. You, 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 dirt and ribs don't do anything. They're just dirt and ribs. Dirt can just get blown around. Ribs just get eaten. I, guess, I, don't, I don't know what ribs do. Ribs are just there. They keep your chest from falling in. There's ribs. He takes it out. And again, that one little spare rib right there is doing nothing without God doing his thing. Which leads me to my next point. That your identity, it is received. It's not achieved. That your identity, that thing that you thought, I gotta do that, I gotta get this job. I gotta get this spouse. I gotta have these kids. I gotta make this money. I gotta get out of this debt. I gotta pay off these loans. I gotta go to this church so my kids aren't heathens. I gotta do all these things. No, our identity, and again, go back to the origin story. God's original intent. He says, your identity, you're created in my image and likeness, that is something that is received by me. I'm revealing it To you, it's not something that you achieve. You don't get, you didn't do anything. You're dirt or a rib. There's nothing you did to be created in the image and likeness of God. He did it and now he invites you to receive it. He invites it to be revealed to you. And guys, that's why I, I need to camp out on this for a second. That's why God's word is so critical for our lives. So I said a second ago that your primary identity is to be a revelation receiver. The primary place where we get the revelation of God. Do you know where it is? It's in his word. God's word is a primary place where he gives us a revelation of who he is and who we are. And so unfortunately, sometimes we go to God's word and we just go, hey, we're in debt. I just need to see debt verses. Hey, hey, God, I got anxiety. Let me just find some anxiety verses. Hey, God, um, my kids are wild and out of control. Let me just find some parenting verses. And God's going, I got a whole book about who I am. And I, I trust me, if you, if, you, if you get in there and you figure out who I am, and not just a few verses about what you need to do, you'll begin to receive the identity that then knows what to do. And this is why there's an all-out war. And you maybe don't realize this, maybe i put, put put two and together. That's why there's an all-out war, an onslaught on your life to keep you out of God's word. Because when you're out of God's word, you won't know who you are. And when Satan has you walking around, going through downtown McDonough and, and going through your job and going to your schools, when he has you going to all those places and having no idea who you really are, well, he's one. He can get you to do a lot of stupid things. Raise your hand if you does some stupid things because you were trying to figure out who you were. Right, everybody, welcome to the family. Um, all of us have been there. But the best decisions you made in your life are decisions you made based off of strength and solidity and, and just confidence in who you were in Christ. Because you knew what you needed to say no to. And you did it with strength in your spine. You knew what you needed to say yes to and you did it with strength in your spine. And the reason that this is a war is because there's an enemy and see, again, like I told you, we see God's original intent. You see how good he wanted it to be. You're in my image and likeness. And, you're, and I, I believe again, I believe this was God's original intent. Adam and Eve, you're gonna hang out in this garden and not in just a moment, not by day three, you're gonna know everything about me, but I'm gonna leave you in this garden. And as you experience life here, you're going to over decades and decades and decades experience who I am and who you are because you're made in my image. But chapter three happens. Chapter three happens and we see Satan enter into the story says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, all right, first thing he does, track with me here. He doesn't show up and start going, how are you feeling today, Eve? He doesn't show up and go, God's a terrible God. He doesn't show up and go, Eve, Adam's a loser. Come over here, let me talk to you. He doesn't attack her self-worth. He doesn't attack Adam's, masculinity the first thing that satan does and he is still doing is he attacks god's word and he says hey did god really say this is why there's all sorts of stuff trying to keep you out of god's word because that's what he knows is the primary place where you find out who god really is so he attacks god's word did god really say that you must not eat fruit from the tree of the garden he's questioning god's word And then verse four, he says, you're not certainly going to die. The serpent said to the woman, and this is what he's after here. He says, for God knows, now track with me. For God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. All right, remember, let's go back to where we're at so we can make the point here. Your identity is not something you achieve. It is something that you receive. Now watch the antithesis happen and what Satan tries to get them to do. He says, for God knows that when you eat from it, again, this is all about identity here. He's saying, okay, God says, receive identity. I will lie to them and tell them that if they do something, if they achieve, if they eat from this, then your eyes will be open. And what does he tell them you'll get? Once you eat of it, your eyes are gonna be open and you will be what? You will be like God. Question, were they already like God? I could take you back to that verse and it said like 73 times, didn't it? You, they were made in his image. They were made in his likeness. They were made in his image, male and female, in his likeness, made in his image. Over and over again, in chapter one of Genesis, we have God making it very clear. You are already like me. And that's a huge deal. And Satan shows up and goes, hey, you gotta do something to be more like God. It's an attack on their identity, trying to get this re- reversal to happen of identity, something you receive from God, as opposed to Satan's strategy, as Satan says, do some stuff, work a little harder, bend those rules a little bit, sacrifice a little bit more, lower those standards of hair, do these things, and you'll get the identity you want. You'll be the person that you wanna be. You'll become the best version of yourself. And that's been his lie from the very beginning. That's been his lie, his lie straight from the pit of hell. And the attack, again, the attack is on the word of God. The attack is on who he is and what he would call us all to do. Which is why church, we've gotta be a a people who place an emphasis above and beyond anything else that would happen at our church on understanding God's word. And I, I've experienced this in my own heart. Like I, I just feel like there's this this hunger for people who are who are going. I want to know what the word says. And and I want to talk to you for a second about some of the changes that you may sense and see kind of happening at MCC. Because I joked around about it in the first service I kind of sat here. Like we're probably going to be in the Book of Ephesians for months. Because the beautiful thing about Ephesians is, is Paul wrote the Book of Ephesians to that group of people to essentially the, the, again there were, uh, the, when he writes these letters they don't have the whole rest of Scripture. Paul's writing this letter saying, I'm trying to give you everything you could ever need to know about God so that you can live a godly life. And so my hope is that over the next months, you wouldn't come in and go, man, I just really need some help in my marriage. And and guys, we've done a marriage series. We've done parenting series. We've leaned into all those things. But what often happens in that, like here's the, here's the maybe Trent of 2017 approach to an identity series. I would come in, And I go, okay, we're going to do a series on identity. All right, so uh, we are more than a conqueror. We are adopted. We are loved. That's an easy one. We are peacemakers. And then what I would do is I would, for each of those weeks in the series, just go pick out kind of the same like six or seven verses that you've heard before that you kind of know and can kind of recognize. And I would just chew those out and apply that to that and chew those out and apply that to that and apply that to that. And what happens there is you don't get a full understanding of Bible books and Bible chapters. What happens is you just get the same 17 verses recycled year after year after year. And that's why people can come and sit in churches for decades and really not have a deeper understanding of what in the world is righteousness? What in the world does it really mean to be redeemed? What in the world does it really mean to be sanctified? What is justification? What are these things that can actually help me be a better parent, help me be better husband, help me in the workplace? So we solve all these surface things about how to treat people, but we don't know who we are in Christ. And so what we end up doing is we have some behavior modification for a few weeks, but we still don't know who we are in Christ. And so that all fails when we fail. And so, so my heart is, and maybe you'll notice some of this. Hopefully it just kind of flies on the radar and it just subliminally hits you in the guts and brings transformation in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we're gonna lean into the word slowly so that for the sake of us being people rooted in the gospel, we can know what it really says and how it really helps. Because I, I don't wanna commit the rest of my lives to be someone who preaches people-centered messages. I want to preach to you God-centered messages, Jesus-centered messages. And I believe when, when we can do that, I believe the people will actually change. And so uh, that's my heart because God's word is what reveals really who we are. And that's why we've got to know what in the world this means, who we are in Christ. So I want to spend the rest of my time walking through those two words, in Christ. What does it mean? Okay, we're on we're the series on identity. We're going to unpack this. Like this is the biggest thing we're going to unpack. This is the, what we have to unpack first and foremost before we get to anything else. What in the world does it mean to be in Christ, to find your identity in Christ? Now, again, like say a fifth grader from our children's ministry comes up to you and they go, sir, ma'am. It'd be great if they had that type of politeness, wouldn't it? Um, what does it mean to be in Christ? Or you have a coworker. Hey man, what does it mean to be in Christ? How do you handle that conversation? How do you explain that to them? Well, uh, I know what it means to be in church. I know Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ. I don't really know what it means to be in him. What what does that mean? In Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? Because we're going to talk about having your identity, and your identity is found in Christ. If I asked everybody in the room, hey, do you believe it's important to find your identity in Christ? Everybody would go, or most of the people in the room would go, yeah, I agree. Okay, well, what does that mean? And again, this kind of goes back to what I was just saying, like, we spend decades in church and we know some Bible verses that fit on coffee mugs, but we don't know this. I want to show you a few verses that I think can help us get this. And then I'm going to show you visually with an illustration. Ephesians 1.1. You guys were like, hey, we're starting a series on Ephesians, aren't we? Are there any Ephesians in this message? Yes, one verse. (laughs) We're gonna get a lot next week, Uh, hopefully. I don't know, maybe just get another verse. Okay, Ephesians 1.1. Paul's writing to this church in Ephesus. They got a lot of things in common with us. We're gonna talk about that a lot next week. So Paul's right in there. He gives this kind of introduction. He says, Paul. So everybody knows who's this coming from. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. All right, so he's already pointing back to God. The whole reason I'm doing this is because of God. If it was up to me, I would still be killing Christians, but because of the will of God, I'm writing you to start churches. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, all right? So in Ephesus is where they're at, but Paul's pointing to something bigger. To the people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And right there in, in, the, in, in verse one, if we don't understand those three words, you're not gonna understand the rest of Ephesians. So we, that's why I wanna do the rest, best that I can to help us get that today. Um, I've told you guys before that the best place to go to understand a certain passage of scripture is not to the interwebs, it's not to Google, it's not to a pastor. Even the best thing to use to understand God's word is God's word. That's the the scholarly word for that is cross reference. And so, the best thing that I could do to cross reference to help you understand what in the world does it mean to be in Christ would be this passage I'm showing you here in Galatians. Galatians uh, 3, uh, 26 through 28, I I believe is how far I'm gonna go. So Paul's writing to this church in Galatians. He says, so in Christ Jesus, there's our words again. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. First and foremost, what doesn't mean to be in Christ. It is only something that happens through faith. It is not something that happens through works. It's not something that happens through effort. Remember, identity is something that is received. It is not something that is achieved. It is through my faith. And even that faith that awoke you to the fact that I need some Jesus in my life. Things are really messed up. Even that is a gift from God that you received, woke you up to the fact you're riding the ambulance going, wow, well, I'm a mess. Um, I can't really do anything here. I just need somebody to heal me and to fix me and to make me right. And that's what's happening here. So through faith and through faith being in Christ, means you're not a slave. You're not a servant. You're not indentured. You don't have a debt to pay God off for all the bad things you did. You're a child who can boldly approach the throne of God with the boldness and confidence of a child. Keep going. It says, okay, or again, we're talking about being in Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, getting ready to see that in a second. Somebody baptized into Christ. What he's talking about here, when he's talking about what it means to be in Christ is saying, okay, that happens through faith, but it's not just a mental ascent. It's something I actually do with my life. It's actually something that happens outwardly when I take my body and I say this first step of surrendering to this in Christ life is I'm going into the waters of baptism and being raised up something brand new, a new creation. And I am baptized in the same way that he went under the grave for three days and he rose again. I'm going into the water and I'm being raised up someone victorious new because of Christ's power working in me. And he has now clothed me. I am now stepping into, I'm taking off my death grave clothes that I was born wearing. And I'm stepping into Christ's righteousness, clothing myself with him. It says, there's there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free. There's not male or female. For you are all, let's say this together, one in Christ Jesus. It's his way of saying, it's not just about what you're into now, it's about what you're out of says, it's not about being a Jew or Gentile now. It's not about being slave or free. It's not about being Democrat or Republican. It's not about being rich or poor. It's not about voting this way or that way. It's not about having these feelings or those feelings. It's not about your opinions. It's not about your pigmentation. It's not about any of those things. We are one in Christ. And the key foundational cornerstone things that makes us who we are and makes us one is the fact that we are in Christ. And he lays this out here. He says, okay, now we're one in Christ. It's what makes us who we are. It's what makes us this family. Another passage I would say here is foundational for one of the worlds that mean to be in Christ. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. They're new. You're not a work in progress. You're a new creation, like something completely new. You're not, you know, polished up and you still got this rotten inside. You're brand new. And this new is in terminology like, like I could say, I want a new Ford F150. And I would just have a new Ford F150. But when he says "new here, he's not talking about a new version of you, a better version of you. He's talking about the way there was no car before, and Henry Ford said, "Let's make a Model T. This is something completely new. Not a reinvented, reimagined version. So if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has gone. It's not on file, it's not on record. it's gone. It says the new is here." It says, God made him who had no sin. This is one last verse on this. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, again, there's that word again, in him, we might. And I hate that there's a we might there. It would be much easier if God just made us all robots and said, I'm sending my son. He's gonna give his life. I'm gonna force everybody to be in Christ. Because if I'm a father and I sacrifice one of my kids for one of you rotten people, By God, you better believe in him because I gave my son for you. But our God says, they might, they might not. I love them enough to send them on a maybe, to send them on a might, to send them on a we'll see so that they might become the righteousness of God. I want to do my best to try to explain. I I was racking my brain in the office this week. I was like, how do I, I can show them a bunch of Bible verses, but like, how do I I show you what it means to be in Christ? Like, how do I do that? And then, I I don't know how I got here. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit. I realized I had shoes on. And I have a pair of shoes on here today and I would explain what in the world it means to be in Christ, to be clothed in his righteousness. I would try to explain it to you this way. Uh, this is a pair of 10 and a half Adidas Adidas R all right? Really nothing special about this shoe, just a shoe. Now, I would say in the same way that this shoe is black, it represents our righteousness. Black, filthy. And these shoes that we're all born with, because again, Adam and Eve said, I would rather try to achieve my identity and become like God. I disobeyed God, I sinned against God. Now, the only place that I, because of my sin and your sin, the only place I can head, the only place that these shoes take me is directly to hell, because I'm unrighteous because I've sinned against a holy God. Big sin, little sin, doesn't matter sin. All of my sins, I'm born with sin because of Adam and Eve. I am born into sin. And these shoes, everybody in here has these shoes. Shoes that have gone places they shouldn't. Shoes that stink. And there's a stink in these shoes that cannot get out no matter how much you try to spray and perfume and everything else. Shoes that have tried to take step forwards, but then fallen back. Shoes that are stained. Shoes that are very uncomfortable at times. And at times, extremely comfortable to just sit and wallow in. And so we have these filthy, disgusting shoes and everybody, you're born with these shoes. And many people, you have some of these shoes on maybe even this morning. So what God does, he says, this is what you're in. You're in shoes that take you directly to hell the right and just punishment for turning away from my, my son. And so what happens is Jesus steps into the story and this is a pair of Adidas 10 in NMD, R1s. Jesus steps into the story as a spotless, blameless lamb of God. And unfortunately I have to be Jesus in this illustration. Jesus comes equipped with these shoes on because he is God, he is God's son. So when in Genesis it said, let us create man in our image, Jesus already rocking these shoes, righteous, holy, spotless, blameless. And by some crazy plan of God, he says, I'm going to take my perfect, spotless, blameless shoes from this perfect environment where no stain or blemish is and I'm going to walk into their filthy, sin scarred world. I start in a manger, I walk along the shore of Galilee, I'll experience betrayal, I'll experience abandonment, I'll experience my beard being plucked out, I'll experience all sorts of pain, brokenness, I'll experience moments where I could have uh, succumbed to temptation, I'll walk through all the things that stained and ruined their shoes, that made their shoes head head to hell, and I will keep these righteous shoes from getting even a blot of dirt, dust, or stain on them. I will walk their earth and I will walk it perfectly in a wild turn of events that very few saw coming. He takes those shoes off, takes off his righteousness and walks over to all of mankind and says, I am choosing to put on your unrighteousness as I lay down my righteousness and have my feet laid one over the other and have them nailed to a cross as my hands are nailed to a cross so that I die and trade in my perfect righteousness for all the unrighteousness of all mankind. I take your unrighteousness. I take these shoes that the only direction, the only destination, the only GPS coordinates that work in these shoes is hell. And Jesus takes these and he walks all the way there and returns with the keys. As the grave is rolled away, he kicks shoes off. And then what he does is he says, I now have righteousness. And he shows up to somebody, a sinner like me and says, Trent, I've got a 10 and a half pair of righteousness right here for you, but it doesn't end there. I've got a pair for him and her and them and them and them. I got, all, I got all sizes are in stock. I have righteousness for everybody. All who will come can gain my righteousness, can be in me. And for those of us through faith, through entering in, through the waters of baptism, we now have the opportunity to step in to Christ. Now, again, you've experienced this. You feel like I'm in Christ. Well, God looks at me like he still sees some jacked up, messed up thoughts. And he sees a heart that kind of is wicked, that kind of has some racism in it, that has some sexism in it, that kind of has some impatience in it, that kind of does some mess up things and, and wants to be selfish. I, I, I know I still have some hands that want to reach out and grab and hold, take hold of some things that I shouldn't. I have legs that sometimes take me places I don't want to go. And God does not look over that. He does not omit that. He doesn't deny that that's reality, but what he does is he looks through all of that and sees your righteousness in Christ. He goes, you're still in my son. you step into him. And on this journey, on this walk, we're going to continue to experience some pain and some brokenness and some failings, but you are in Christ and there's nothing that can take you out of your in Christness. The unfortunate part, is many of us, we have been given this gospel. That I am in Christ and I am a mess. That, that I have got to have my sin outweigh my my, my, my sin needs to be less and my righteousness needs to be more and then I'll be a good person. And we walk around dragging this sin behind us I'm trying to live this righteous life. Well, you got a problem, man. You're really going slow. You're still on that. You're still doing that. I'm just dragging this behind me, dragging this by me. And we think that this is kind of how life goes. Well, I got both these feet and I'm walking and my eternal destination is all just based off of whatever foot reaches the edge first. And if I, eat, I, I, eat, I reach the edge of death and righteousness is forward, foot forward, I'm good. If I reach the, the threshold of death, and my unrighteousness is foot forward? Hell, many of you have bought this righteousness. And Jesus says, no, that's a false gospel. It's a false gospel that says you still have to do something to receive this identity that I bought and paid for you on the cross. Put on the full righteousness of God. He says, go both feet in. And so I I stand before you today and offer you something to step into. A righteousness to step into that is unlike anything in this world. A righteousness that secures your identity as a child of God. For many of you in this room, maybe it's like, I need to step into both of these shoes for the very first time. I've never put my faith. I've never put my hope. I've never put my trust in him. I've never had my sin washed away so that I can be new, unblemished, unspotless. And for some of you, you need to, let once you drop and begin to embrace the full gospel, that you are fully his, that you are fully saved, that you are fully secured, and that your eternal destination and its coordinates have been set. Now the rest of this life looks like walking in righteousness, walking away from the sin knowing that you now have the power to say, I'm never walking back down that path. I will never download that app again. I will never go to that site again. I will never call them again. I won't, you won't find me in that store. You won't find me in that side of town. You won't find me with that attitude in my heart because Jesus is not just allowing my righteousness to be something that's down there, but he's allowing righteousness to become who I am fully. Until the moment that I stand anew on the shores of heaven, dressed in full white, fully clothed, fully perfect, fully redeemed and fully restored. Today, we're getting ready to see a beautiful little girl become made new, washed in the blood of the lamb, baptized into the family of God. Before we do, I wanna invite you to receive communion, to meet and to talk with Jesus and to have honest conversation about what you were stepping into to have an honest conversation about maybe what's going on on your feet. If you're too black unrighteous, if you're one white shoe, one black shoe, or if you fully embrace the fact that you are standing in Christ, perfect, unblemished, spotless, white as snow. And if you're here and you have not given your heart and your life to him, if you're here and you have never put your faith in him, or maybe you put your faith in him, but you're still kind of standing in those shoes. The step that's missing in the whole process is them being washed. And take that next step card and say, my next step is to be baptized. Because I don't want it just to be this mental thing. I want it to be a surrender that's real. And indicate that's what you want to do. I'd love to baptize, i baptize you today. I got clothes up there for you. But for some of you, that's the decision you need to make. And to deny that would be deny the Holy Spirit today in this room. I pray as you commune with Jesus, you thank him for what he's done and you beg him to continue to reveal who he is and who you are because of that. Meet with him and eat with him.